0: So Satish, I found this episode really interesting. A lot of the people that we speak to, they leave school and they start their business. A lot of them have been hustling throughout their life. Yeah, you've got someone that spent 20 years in a corporate environment and for all intents and purposes had become institutionalized in the way things are done and decided that he didn't want to be a lifer. He was going to go out there, start his own business. And not only has he started his own business, he started too. You know, based on the conversation we've had, He has exceeded expectations in both of these businesses. And it's a really strong message for everyone out there that just because you've spent 20, 30 years in a corporate environment, it doesn't mean that you can't go out there and do your own thing. And not only do your own thing, but do your own thing very well. I think that's a great message from Buster. There was a lot of advice, a lot of well thought through Considerated comments that I think would add a lot of value to our listeners. So I'm sure they're going to enjoy this one. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Kloppers, and my good friend Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Nice to meet you. And thanks for being on the podcast this edition. We're going to get to your startups and you've actually got more than one that we're going to talk about today. But before we do, give us a little insight into the man behind the business. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what your upbringing looked like, what brought you or inspired you to take this route of entrepreneurship?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm from, uh, you might tell from my accent, I'm from East Tennessee originally, grew up on a dairy farm in East Tennessee. So even more Tennessee than that for the first bit of my life. And then, you know, eventually my dad went into car sales. So I've been around a lot of sales as well most of my life. Then I went to university at Tennessee. They actually had a really good supply chain program. It was number one at the time and it was convenient and I could get football tickets. So kind of checked all my boxes and went and got a supply chain and marketing degree. And from there, and I did a six-month co-op up in Connecticut with Unilever before I graduated and after graduated, I actually moved to Arkansas for Unilever for a role. And I'd never been to Arkansas before. And even though it was right next to Tennessee, I honestly never even thought about the state, probably not even once in my life before that point. Moved there. And then since then, uh, up until about a year and a half ago, I was in CPG. I went from Unilever to Wreck-It. To I did 12 different roles at Reckitt over the course of 16 years there. I moved back and forth. I had four rotations in Arkansas. I'm here right now, moving back and forth between corporate and uh, operations, like a DC. So I've done everything. I supply chain, sales, marketing, general management, a lot of finance work. I purposely threw myself into the fire and try to do as many things as I could. For the first 20 years of my career, that was actually my plan was to do 20 years and then use all that knowledge. And go do my own thing i was roughly on track actually when i started doing my own thing
0: i love that so this was actually by design as you say you know you you planned you were always going to start and work always going to work for yourself but what was that pivotal moment why did why was the timing perfect now
1: the thing about and i talk a lot about this with people is working in a big business or an established business and you have a good job and look maybe you're making good money is it can make you forget about your own objectives sometimes. And it really can. I'm actually going to publish a book and I'll talk a lot about this stuff too, about really not giving your identity to and really basing, knowing who you are and basing what you want to do and not giving it to somebody else, right? And not, I'm not knocking corporations or companies. They're doing what they do and they do a good job of making money. But at the end of the day, I think most people really have their own hopes and dreams and strengths and skills and passions. A lot of times I forgot it over the 20 years, to be honest with you. And it, cause it was a fast paced ride and had some really good years and thought, Hey man, this is as good as it gets. And, but I, my plan was always 20 years, roughly what kind of initiated it was. I moved up to a point where I was either, I was going to become a lifer and it was like, I'm either a lifer or I'm not. And frankly, at that point is more political and getting bigger roles. And, than I was even in, I was trained up and so I felt trained. I felt good personally. It was a good time to do it as well. No better time than today,
2: right? Curious, Buster, along the journey, were you doing any side hustles? Were you experimenting to to see what that, that life could be like?
1: Well, that's a great question. It wasn't as easy side hustling as it is now because it's very easy to do side hustles today, day and age, especially after COVID. But this is one thing, I actually, when I'm talking to younger executives or like about to be executives, in corporate and just advising. I was a young executive at one point, right? And that's what I was gunning for and to get the experience is, you know, I was having dinner with somebody a few months ago and i told this person, I said, the biggest mistake I made was not doing something on the side 10 years ago, developing things for myself and building foundation for myself where it's not as much of a splash to to leave the secure quote unquote security, even though I would say it's not security nowadays in terms of working for big corporations and doing that. When I was doing extracurricular things, I made the mistake of identifying too much with my company, right? And I didn't need to do that. So I did a lot of speaking and coaching and got around doing a lot of the different things. And I had plenty of opportunities to do excellent side hustles and set up things, but kept my identity too closely aligned with the company I was with at the time.
0: I had a similar type of experience where I knew I was going to leave my company, right? I knew the time had come where falling out of love and I had to do my own thing. But I planned for it at least 12 months in advance so that by the time I left, I had one or two clients already lined up and I could transition quite easily from a permanent role into more of a consulting type role. Did you follow a similar type of trajectory or was it more, I'm out of here and now I need to make it work?
1: I knew the last role I had was going to, be my last the, the plan was this is my last role right I'm going to I'm going to figure an exit point at some point and I, I had no interest in moving on past that point so I did set it up Is mostly just me thinking about what I wanted to do and really just figuring out what it was the problem was reality was different than my expectations because up to that point I've been in large ecosystems and look you can read all you want on google you can do all the stuff you want it's way different when you get your hands dirty I had a lot of conceptions about things that I don't think were really spot on I think it was just me from looking from the outside and then getting out and learning and that's the way I like doing things because it's like you know you can over plan a lot of things I think look building a network is really key if you can pick up some clients and if you can do all that that's fantastic it depends I mean there's things you can do you could be building a widget or you could be doing a service I mean there's a lot of different things you could be doing and those things all depended I didn't want to ever want to build a widget again necessarily even though I touched that a little bit now I knew I wanted to do that and I just didn't know enough and so I'm kind of just throw me in the fire kind of guy. And when I was moving roles every 18 months into different functions, that I didn't even know. I mean, that's kind of what I was used to. I'll just get in and I'll figure it out. And but, no, I had thought it through, but honestly, most of it was so wrong. There was no point in me even planning.
2: Let's get into what you're doing now. You know, LinkedIn, you've got a couple of things going. We call folks like you entrepreneurs. You've got the, you got the air on fire and fusion retail. Group. Let's talk about what those businesses are doing, what your role, what sort of the business insight is.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I did, it was just who I was with and it was just an opportunity. Honestly, a lot of things I'm doing right now is just opportunities that come up in networking and talking to people. It's amazing. You can think of stuff you want to do all the time, but keep your ears and eyes open because there's opportunity everywhere, especially where I'm at. I live in Bentonville, which is home of Walmart. And so there's just a lot of energy here to tap into. But the first business actually was very random. Something I'd never done. And my partner that I partnered with runs it. Day to day now, and I help strategically and help advise and help make big decisions. But it was a small; uh, it was for small businesses, marketing, technology, mostly IT support at first, and then we expanded to a little bit of marketing as well. And that concept radically changed over the first year because I started working and I was talking to small businesses and talk about really ground level entrepreneurs, like people opening up shops and everything else like that. Because for servicing, it's like I've talked to a lot of people that are starting their own businesses and actually which is interesting. I've never had that point of view before. So yeah, it's there to service small businesses. I think it's actually an opportunity in the U.S. 70% of the economy comes from that and 99% of businesses are that. And frankly, most agencies and most other support is geared towards bigger companies. So that was the whole insight of bringing like a really high quality value that fits into small business budgets and then scaling and making sure it's a volume-based business versus my new one, which is more of a revenue per client-based business. So... So that's still going. It's growing. It's great. I've actually been, you know, involved with my son. I'm training him on business on how to work within an entrepreneur, old business. We bootstrapped it. So it was very much just like any money that went into it. It was our own, but we were profitable in Q1. We were very lucky the way we worked it out. So we became profitable with a good client list early on, and then we managed it. And the financial models seemed to pan out pretty well, actually, in terms of margins on that. On, that's hair on fire.
2: That's awesome. Where did the other business come in?
1: Yeah, so I was consulting on the side because obviously, look, I have 20 years experience. It would be silly of me to leverage that in what I do. And plus, I do love working with brands and I do love a lot of all that. I really do like consumer packaged goods a lot. I'm very passionate about it and I think I can help people. So I was consulting on the side and, you know, kicking it around and looking for hair and fire was going. I was like, I want to get my own core business for myself and what I'm passionate about and something to build behind all my expertise and kind of cash in the 20 years of blood sweat and tears that I, I gave away to other people then eventually I found the bright partner and I think that's the big learning across it all was I was really really good in certain lanes and but there's other lanes that are required to do really well right if you're bootstrapping and starting your own company and I found the perfect partner and it is hard finding good people it's hard finding people that are can be a hundred percent in with you everybody's passively in with you and they'll be passively in until they can get a lot of money out of and they'll be firmly in right but Finding people that are firmly when there's, when they it when there's good idea, but there's a whole lot of execution in front of you is very few and far between, let alone, I love building teams. That was something I love. That's one thing I do miss from big companies. I loved having a big team and building it, putting the right people together and performing in the same way. It's just finding the one that complements and balances you, right? Not a buster number two, that would be an absolute disaster. We would fail very quickly, but somebody that balances me out and I balance them out. And I think that's very, very tough to find and that they're all in and and I'm all in and we're like, it's success or bust kind of thing. And, you know, so I found the person, Peter Ferguson, and it's been great so far. It's been a really wild ride. So I kind of folded my consulting into Fusion Retail Group at that point. And then we just started going and it is, I've, we are way ahead of where I thought we would be, but it's because I got the right partner and I think we had a good foundation and we're leveraging the strengths of where we're at which is good. So we're doing a lot of really good things of being very, very smart about, okay, I don't want to go, I don't want to go do something that would do well in New York City. It's not going to do well in a small town like Bentonville, but Bentonville has its own very universally unique traits. So we decided to leverage that and then we leverage our strengths and then we leverage what we know and let's build a concept that doesn't really exist yet is what we have actually done.
2: As I'm hearing you talk and I'm a serial entrepreneur and one of the things about Dion approach versus me is how strategic he is and how just wild and let's just go figure this shit out that I am. And as you're talking, I was reminded of sort of the definition of entrepreneurs people throw around the famous Steve Jobs quote on here is to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, that that whole thing. I don't sense a little bit of the crazy entrepreneur. Let's just build a rocket ship as it's going vibes from you versus Let's figure it out. Like you had a 20 year plan. Now you're in it. Now you got a couple of businesses okay. and you hit profitability in Q1. Who the hell does that? So when you look at yourself as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, do you, is there a difference between that definition of an entrepreneur versus like a good business breeder?
1: Yeah, I'm by genetics, an entrepreneur and, okay. a entrepreneur and a big idea guy. Now here's and here's something, like the stats that always throw me back when I think about when I look up entrepreneurship and do other things, is that the success rates of people that start businesses in late 30s, 40s, and 50s, versus ones that start in, look, everybody hears about the 20-year-old that is a billion, whatever, right? Of course, there's always at least one unicorn somewhere, right, but people don't hear about probably the massive amount of failures that happen, actually, too. And in reality, the success rate of people that know what they're doing and have some experience is drastically higher than people that do not. And that's just a, that's just a stat in the U.S. And I think three or four times actually. And what I would say is I was, my plan, the 20 year plan is like, look, I am all over the board. I am like, trust me, I had ADD like everywhere. I love ideas. I have ideas all day, every day, but I was, it was beaten into me in corporate cause I worked in very fast paced, like aggressive, but successful environments of the insight I got probably about 10 years ago was because I was a big dreamer, right? And everybody's kept on like my bosses kept on pounding in my head, pounding in my head about execution and like operating. And now, how I'll put it to people if I'm coaching or talking to other people is big dreams do not happen unless you know how to execute and vice versa. If you're executing with no big dream, then you're just kind of doing things and so n- not really achieving anything. And so, reality the way I view it is I like structure and then I like a freedom within that structure and that framework of okay I cannot get to my I have insane imagination in terms of where we're going to go with this business and as I do with everything but this is like the discipline and the muscle memory that you build up over 10-20 years of grinding and underneath very successful people not all big businesses would do this this the place I was at was big but entrepreneurial and I learned from some excellently smart people I would advise people, just soak in everything you can from everybody who can corporate and entrepreneurs and everything. Cause there's pros and cons to their strengths and weaknesses to everything. And what I'm trying to do is bring a lot of rigor into my entrepreneurship to make sure that I'm not wasting as much time as I would just flailing around. So yeah, I go in with marketing targets. I go in with thought out strategies. I go in with very thought out financial models on everything we do, but then I honestly, I'm fluid. I'm like water. That's how I want to do. I'm like water. I will move along the, whatever course I think is going to be the best to get to the reservoir I want to tap on it all day, every day and, and plans and tactics change. And what I would usually also usually say is, and this is where a lot of the small business owners I've worked with, and now I'm working with a lot of startup brands and stuff at fusion, which is really cool. So I'm seeing a lot of different kinds of entrepreneurs, but like some of the smaller business ones, what you see is they get, they get so they marry like your plan and your tactics and your strat, like the strategy, the only thing you need to marry is like your vision of where you want to get to and who you are, your purpose, mission, vision. That's the only thing. It's the only thing you really don't want to change. Then it's just about how do you reach that first principle within it? And I think a lot of people like they're doing something and I've worked, and then it's not, it's just not working at it, but they keep on doing it because it's what they know or they're comfortable with. And they think the point of the business is to do that one thing. Well, it's like, well, not really. And then they lost sight of the plot. And so I think that's the number one thing that I try to tell, I remind myself of that every day. It's like, it's all about that. I do not get attached to anything I'm doing at all. I only get attached to what our purpose, mission, vision is as a company.
2: I love that, man. And you know, I was thinking as you're talking about some of the folks that we've already had on the show, there's this misconception that if you're a little older and coming from a corporate perspective into entrepreneurship, somehow you need to become like that 20-year-old. You got to put on that hoodie and you got to, act crazy want to be entrepreneurial and i'm saying hey slow down like you don't want to be a 20 year old because you're going your 20 years of strategic thinking and structure which these young kids are desperately trying to learn so i love that you sort of reposition it as no you can play within the box and be wild and energetic but we bring you have that discipline of time and learning which is something that you shouldn't ignore
1: yeah me and my partner Peter at fusion, we call ourselves the misfits and that's who we usually like to have around us because I usually tell people, it's like, look, I can do corporate really well, but I'm not built for it and I don't like it. It drains my energy, but I know how to do it and I'm just not a fit for it long term and I think, can you come from corporate and maybe, maybe not. I think it's very person dependent, depends on how much they really re how much they ride corporate or how much they actually utilize corporate and get value out of it, of learning, learning, learning. And instead of viewing as a safe spot, use it as, hey, I'm seeing how billion-dollar brands operate at high level, and then I'm going to disseminate those principles down to something smaller that's operable on anything else I do.
0: So, Basti, you've got both businesses that are running at the moment, and really, I mean, they are in startup. I think the one's just a few months old and the one's just shy of two years, right? And you also mentioned that you are an ideas guy and you get excited by opportunities and whenever you have a conversation, there's a new opportunity that gets presented and things like that. How are you balancing running two startups that both get the same level of attention and focus in order for it to scale? And how do you squash that desire to pursue other opportunities because you run then the risk of really jeopardizing these two businesses?
1: Yeah, that's good. I, that's a good question. I think with Hair on fire, I was very clear up front. I think this is very important when you're working with people or setting up a company, like understand. And then when I coach people, there's a method I take them through. Of, what are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? I think it's great conversations to have with anybody. Before you start anything, write it down to yourself and then talk to any, if you're an equity partner with somebody, then talk to them. I had a conversation up front to say, look, I don't want to be this every day. I want to help set it up. It was very, a lot of work. First few months. She runs it day to day. And she was actually my executive admin in corporate. She just followed me. So she's doing it. She's good with details and that kind of stuff. And that was very, very clear. And I bounce in and out when it makes sense. Like, look, you don't want me around if you don't need me around. I'm a bull in a China shop if everything's kind of running. So I come in, I have very set points. I come in weekly, talk over certain things. I got a back office. We got an operations manager, we got about 12 people working over there. So it's running and it's growing fairly organically consistently, right? There's a lot of problems still, obviously there's problems no matter how big you are, but, but I come in it smartly and I set that and I set expectations. That's the number one thing you don't want to set, come in as a partner and then tell them you're going to be there, then you leave. That's not a good thing. And so I set it up front and then I try to be fair and I'm just connected to it. It like, it's tough to manage. Some weeks it's a lot because some stuff pops up over there and I'm trying to figure out how I get to both. But for the most part, I structurally set it up, always knowing that I was probably going to do something else that would be a majority of my time leaning into my experience more and driving, obviously, probably being a very big part of my revenue generation for myself.
2: That's amazing. So before we get to the next segment, I had a question, a checklist, and could spitball off the top, but we've got a bunch of folks that are moving into entrepreneurial lifestyle coming out of corporate. and. They have to do a gut check and a checklist of strengths and weaknesses. And maybe you could share some of the strengths and weaknesses that you saw coming out of your 20 years into entrepreneurship. And that could be a checklist for somebody else. And for me, I had the opportunity to go back into corporate for one year after my agency was sold. And I had to work for somebody for about 12 months. And I walked in there with the full idea of, man, this is it, I made it now. Like I built a sold to different companies. Now I can get into a VP role I got a team. I could just be that guy. And then very quickly, by day seven, I'm like, I hate the pace. I hate the architecture of hierarchy. I hate the fact that everything takes 13,000 meetings to make a decision. I need to get the fuck out. So I'm wondering what your internal checklist could be that somebody else can learn.
1: So first thing I'll say, you're probably wrong in what you think you're good and bad at. And things you thought you were good at, you know, maybe you weren't. Because honestly, a lot of times if we're still staying in corporate, you're used to certain things happening that you don't understand were happening in the background. And so you actually probably suck at it, right? Because you haven't had experience. And then the other thing is things that you overlook or don't even think that you're good at are potentially world-class to 99.9% of the population out there. Right. And I think you don't know it until you get out there and you start talking to people. Like you can do that in corporate. That's what I would say is like, go out. And start talking to entrepreneurs, talking to other business owners, talking to people in other industries, and just start rapping back and forth as much as you can to figure out how good you are, what you're good at, what are the st- things you need to be able to do. And start really thinking it through. But, you know, a lot of it is you get out and you see like, okay, I thought I was really good at this, but probably not as good as I thought because I was building on a p- certain support system that was very expensive and already built. Other things I thought I was just like, I'm pretty good and I like doing it. I'm excellent at. And it looks like magic to people, right? Because I was trained to do that. Like one thing for me is just, I, it was very, very intense financial environment at the company I was with for the longest. And so to me, it's just like, I can do a P&L with blindfolded all the way on to every line down to every, in every scenario. And that's how I think about a lot of things because I was trained to do that or I would probably not be there anymore. And then I get out and a second. Okay. Then... Out. And it's just, I'm so much better at controls than <laughs> just about everybody. Like, I didn't even realize it. Right. And then, but then some of the stuff that you think about and around people and other kind of brand things, it's like you really got to adjust it because it's a different, it's a different environment. And in places, it's overkill. If you know how to do it at the highest level, that doesn't apply sometimes unless you're at the highest level. Like, it's so far, it's like a advanced civilization from a thousand years from now coming back and giving you this technology. Like, You can't use it, right? And vice versa. So that's the first thing I would say. And then when you get out again, start and really fill it out, but you really need to balance out. Nobody in this world is going to be awesome at everything. And so there's people that tell you they are, but there's definitely not, nobody exists that actually is and really leaning in and understanding what you're good at and bad at and keeping, do not get blind spots to what you're bad at. Do not fight it. And If you don't have a partner, that's okay. You don't have to have a partner, right? If you don't, then you really need to have people around you to make sure you don't make bad decisions based on your weaknesses. And everybody's going to do that at some point, unless, and and a lot of people don't listen. I listen to everybody that tells me I'm an idiot and, or I'm not doing something right. And it's more frequent than I'd like sometimes, but that's very, very, very important. And then if you have strengths, so like the, if knowing your weaknesses, not having blind spots and making sure they don't really make you trip, they can't. Kill you unless you let them kill you. And the other one is like your strengths. Your entrepreneur are everything. That is everything. Like what you're magically good at is everything because that's the brand. That's what the company you're building. And do not run away from those. Like really lean into it. And when people hear you talk, if you're really good at something, they want to work with you. They and whatever it is. And so that's what I would say is put your blinder. Do not put blinders on to your weaknesses get a lot of input, and then lean into your strengths and use that as a key selling point as you're trying to get either investors or clients, whatever it is, or people to work for you, that is so, so critical.
0: I mean, Basti, you've just touched on investors now. And at the beginning of the podcast, we determined that you bootstrapped both of these businesses, right? Is it the intent to get investors or have you made a conscious decision that you will continue to bootstrap this?
1: The so fusion retail model is one, it's almost like my playground. And so it's almost like I have a lot of entrepreneurial things in it and it, it satisfies my ADD because we have a lot of things going on that are really good that all do tie up to one purpose, but it, it's whole intent is to be entrepreneurial and to help entrepreneurial brands and which I love, right. And the discussions are all, all over the place. So look, eventually do I ever need an investor? No, because we have revenue coming in already and the revenues, I think, are going to be good based on this. In fact, we got more opportunities to know what to do with. If anything, people want to invest later just to get me out of the business or just to buy it out. I'm sure me and my partner would be open to that, right? But debt's not bad in business. In fact, that's good sometimes because you're investing and helping grow it. But if I don't need it, I don't want to get any of it. And I want to keep all my equity if I can. Equity is very very important. It doesn't seem like it's important as much, but it will become important later. I think that's very clear. Yeah, I'd love to avoid it, but now some brands, if you're making a widget and you're doing some other things, which we work with a lot of those brands right now, and I'm advising on them on it. Yeah. Sometimes you do, you got to buy inventory marketing. You're actually in the red on profitability when you got widgets for the first few years, typically just depends on who you have on your team and how smart you are and all that, and that's sort of the purpose of fusion is us helping brands that we feel to do good in the world grow. And so I think, and the point being. Bringing like billion dollar brand tactics down to just multi-million dollar levels of brands because you can't afford to buy, honestly, people that have my experience until you're like really advanced and have a lot of revenue, like to get any sort of team takes forever. So it's more like us trying to help them out. And I just wanna see if they're a great brand doing good. Instead of taking 10 years to get there, maybe they take it two or three would be great, right? We raise the ceiling of their growth. So that kind of thing. Yeah, no investment we need or want, At this point. But I think eventually the brand is very compelling what we're doing. And some of the areas of actually creating brands ourselves and partnering with certain, some of the partnerships we have would include probably equity or some other investments we're going to get.
0: A follow-up question, if you don't mind. Both your startups, the one you said you were generating revenue very quickly. The other one is projecting to do better than you anticipated. Has there been a bit of a secret sauce or what did you do? I mean, it's a Brand new companies, unknown in the marketplace. How did you go out there and position yourself and get to this point now where you're cash positive?
1: Just my commercial experience, I know how much marketing costs. This is what most people don't know when you're starting something. Almost anything requires something on these levels, right? No matter what industry you're doing is I hate marketing spend. I know people like, oh, I liked marketing. I like to know how to use it. But at the end of the day, people, everybody wants to get to marketing to advertise. I have no idea why most people I meet are excited about spending marketing money. Because it's like, I never want to spend money on that. I'm not buying an asset. I'm not doing anything. I'm really obsessive about like, how do I get my marketing costs down as low as possible through other clever tactics is always going to be what you want to do. Right. And you know, really, so here on fire, frankly, founded another failed business, rolled it in and I got his book for free and then just converted it, right? I didn't, they, they, it was a separate LLC, right? And everything was separate, but like really just reached out to the clients. I got a good client list and the model that we were doing was very attractive and I knew that. And so we went out there and just secured a lot of clients fairly quickly. I did that because I knew we would be in the red for one to two, maybe three years of really trying to outreach of doing things and marketing and like going on there, then that tracking our ROAS and doing all these other ads. And honestly, it's been a disaster in the last few years. Even doing ads is so expensive and your returns are so low. So did that. And then on fusion, it honestly just leaning into our strengths. Like my partner is just like a super mm. high level of working and finding things. And I have my network I can leverage. I, I operate differently in it how I'd operate than him, but us together, it's a one, two punch usually going out there. So, and like I said, we started a business that has a model I knew would be attractive because I've been running businesses, I've been an exec, I know things that pissed me off running a business and I'm trying to fix those. And so I know how to tell a story because I've been in the shoes of everybody else. And we're at the center, we're at the center of the business, one of the centers of the business world. I know people would laugh at that, but it is, you got, we got J.B. Hunt, Tyson, then Walmart. There's almost 2000 offices here of all the most major companies in the world that that go into Walmart here. And then you have the richest family here. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. And I think what we said was like, I would be completely stupid to not leverage my geography of where I'm at and our network and connections where we're at. And if you do that, like connections are pretty much free outside of referrals. I don't want to get in details, like, but like it's pretty much free and we're in an area that's super rich fishing, right? So if I'm going to go fish in a place with a lot of fishes, obviously I'm going to catch them faster and using less money on bait. And so. That, that was the whole thought process. So everything I do, I try to do that. I, if I started a business, like we're, and we're starting a few brands and doing a few other things where we're, we're going to have some marketing spend, cause we are going to be making widgets and selling widgets to different verticals. But, even then I'm thinking about how do I do this smarter than, than going in and spending a couple, 10 grand a month when there's not revenue yet on, on very, very questionable returns. I think it, a lot of this is very, very questionable unless you get mature. You have to put a lot of your ads Big percentage of revenue needs to be ad spend, if not more over the first year.
0: Earlier, you mentioned that you're involved in your son now
1: in the business. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. That's also a side project of mine uh, on that where I'm just, I'm teaching them to work with people, which is tough. Again, like the book I'm going to publish, a lot of the coaching, I really like helping, I'm very passionate about helping the next generation Mm -hmm. professionals avoid like the best coach, like the best Coaching I got was my executive coaching when I was like 35, right? Mid thirties. And it's like, my first thought was why this should have happened like 10, 20 years ago on some of this stuff, right? In terms of that. So yeah, I'm teaching him digital marketing, SEO, working with people that are difficult to work with, working within a process. Also trying to teach how to think entrepreneurially and outside of the box and balance that with the structure. Well, we talked about at the beginning of the call. I'm trying to teach him that because it took me 20 years of pain to figure that out.
0: And the reason I asked that question, because I mean, there are some people that believe that instead of involving your family, especially your children, send them out to work first, let them gain some external experience and then bring that back into the business versus others that say, you know what, I'm going to get them involved from day one. Do you have any particular opinion about that? Do you think there are pros and cons to that? It's very dependent. Well, one, I'm
1: a coach. I'm a business coach. So... I need to be doing my job at home. But really the other thing is I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about teaching skills over the future. Like he's in high school and what is it going to, is this or flipping burgers? It's like, okay, well, I think this is more marketable, right? And so the skills you're learning in the resume building that you're doing, and as long as he's value-add and I don't ever want to do things value-add and there's no nepotism, like he, he gets, he, like he will get it maybe even harder in terms of like, if he, the work's not good enough, but he's, it is, I'm teaching him the discipline. So for me, it's more about preparing him to learn how to fish later on and from an early point. And look, if ever I can give him a business or have, I do that too after he does hopefully a really good school <laughs> and some other things, but yeah, no, I think it's very, very kid dependent, very parent dependent, but at the end, I think very much, okay, what, value are you getting from i was a bagger at a grocery store my first job but i didn't get any value out of that i wish somebody was teaching me seo and digital marketing and how to and marketing strategy just using it for that i mean he's good he works he loves it which is great that was my thought process on that
0: and i, I think this could open up a whole nother line of conversation in terms of our children or our students today being taught what they need in order to prepare them for this new business world that we live in? Or are they really just being taught to recite and pass exams? So there's a whole nother conversation there, which we won't get in because I know Satish, you're going to jump on your uh, soapbox there, as far as that's concerned.
2: <laughs> Let me talk about Schoolio. and no, I'm just kidding. Now I'm doing the same thing, mate. You know, I run a music festival. My daughter 15 is now fully in the business, she's learning how to host, organize events, understand P&L. She has been always been told she's not good in math, but she's discovered she knows how to understand financial math. I'm like, awesome, you don't have to be good in algebra and all this other crap, but if you can understand a balance sheet and the PL and look for areas to improve and cut costs, you're ahead of most people in life. Yeah. Let's go.
1: More money off that than calculus, so.
2: Right? Uh, Let's get into the confessions as we wrap this up. Yeah. Sebastian,
0: we've got this confession corner and essentially on the face of it, it sounds like you've got the perfect storm, 20 years of experience, met perfect partners. You've got a business that's exceeding expectations, but in your quiet moments, what are those things that are keeping you awake at night? And that's the biggest concerns that you have.
1: I think one, yes, we're, we have more than we know what to do with, but that doesn't mean the contracts are in a lot of the stuff's long lead time contracts and like, it's different. It's not like a hair on fire. It was a little different. Like you land a client, you get, you start getting revenue the next month. Right. But this can be six, 12, 18 months. Some clients we get, maybe you don't get much. Some clients you may get a, a whole lot. You just don't know, which kind of leads me to like what keeps me up at night, which is Am I making the right bets? Some people may say, oh, you got more business, you know, to do this. That's a bad problem to have too. Just like not enough, but it's, it's opposite of, okay, I'm going to work a lot. I'm going to probably invest personal money into this and the company money, like as much as we can. And what if they're all bust? I don't know that I'd rather have one great one than seven nothing, nothings. Right. And so I, you don't feel like client lists don't make me feel good or project like really cool looking slides with all the stuff we're to do not make me feel good, right? What makes me feel good is, is locked in contracts on things that are producing revenue and actually coming in the pocket and all that. So we have a lot of good ideas, a lot of good theories. We're working with some of the best brands and people I've ever met, which is why I love this. I get to meet a lot of people, but I have to make sure I'm picking the right horses because if I don't, then that's gonna really stress revenue next year, right? Cause it's long lead time. So I won't know my mistake for a while.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. Buster, look, I mean, it's really been great having you on our podcast. We wish you everything on the best. Probably if I keep tabs on you, we might see that you're going to have startup three, four, and five in the next few months, so just based on this I conversation. Got it, I already
1: plan. Once, once Fusion's going, I already, got, I already know what i want to do next year. So. Oh, oh,
0: exactly. That's
2: <laughs> well, awesome, man. The message is really important. I think folks that come from corporate worlds, They underestimate their superpower, like you said. And if anybody's listening to this from a lens of, can I do it after 20, 30, 50 years of corporate Canada, corporate America, I think you're a good guy to follow up with to have a discussion. Yeah.
1: When we're trying to help, like part of our thing of people working with us, I've tried to build a smart program that can get people to come out of corporate without too much anxiety, getting good people to work with us that maybe have families and most of them I get it. Like it's risky. And sometimes you can't afford risk if there's a lot on the line. I get it personally, but I'm also trying to do that because I'm very passionate about getting people working towards what they want to do and getting freedom. And there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of upsides to entrepreneurship, guys, a whole lot. There's risk, but there's all the upsides from a personal standpoint are fantastic.
2: Awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate you accepting us.
1: Awesome, Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys.
2: year one is hosted by dion Kloppers and suthish bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization product or service it is engineered by BloomX. for more year one content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BloomX.io to join us on discord